like that, the second hour is here. Monday edition, Hot Mike with Hutton and Withrow across the Outkick Network. Reacting to the college and NFL weekend, 6th and Peabody Air location with Eha Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine. Jim Comperoni will join us uh, coming up in 20 minutes. SpartanMag.com is his publication, his website, covers Michigan State. We'll get the uh, very latest on the suspension of Mel Tucker and the likely firing with cause and the $80 million phone sex uh, that is behind all of this. That, that's coming up in, in 20 minutes. Uh, plus, uh, later in the show, we talk all things Colorado and, and how can we not based on the results on the field, but also uh, the eyeballs and the hype behind the product right now with Deion Sanders. Chad, also uh, NFL-wise, uh, a lot of a lot of hype went into some teams that did not show up. Others, right back on the scene where they left off. Um, I look at San Francisco and Miami, who carved up Los Angeles with the Chargers. Uh, but defensively, Vic Fangio, in his debut as defensive coordinator, brought the heat on the last possession and on the final play when Herbert's trying to get a first down to push them into scoring territory in what was a very entertaining game for a lackluster offensive week one. That was a great game. Uh, sacked. They got to him with an aggressive mentality. Miami, with Tua and with Hill and everyone else involved, they looked the part just prior to Tua getting hurt last year. They looked like that team and then some. Well, and from the start, too, you know, I think 36 yards to Tyreek Hill in the first play, then a big play to Jalen Waddle. Boom, they're in the red zone after two plays on offense for Miami to start the game. You got Sean Payton trying the onside kick yeah. to start the, his season and his tenure in Denver, and uh, guy touches about a yard too sh- too short, nine yards instead of the ten Rams yards. Winning over Seattle, or they would have uh, would have gotten it. Yeah, the Rams were a big surprise. Also, how about my survivor pick of Minnesota winning at home over Tampa, I, and stunned. Tampa goes to Minnesota and wins. So I'm out. You guys have fun with that competition. <laughs> the rest of the year, I'll just I'll sit back. Davey, who did you have? Oh, Ravens. That was a good pick. Yeah, it was. Mine, not so much. Baltimore was, Baltimore I, injured. J.K. Dobbins done. And yeah. They have a litany of other players that got hurt yesterday. Yeah, a, a lot to get to coming up. Um, Deion Sanders in Colorado. Um, as if you can't get more eyeballs and attention, Mel Kuyper has moved Shadur Sanders to his number three quarterback uh, in his uh, overall big board. So there's that. Um, Chad, we're two weeks in. There, you're right. There, there is a reality coming at some point, and we'll see how they handle uh, the loss instead of the win. But think about what we are about to see and the teams we're about to see them pitted against over the next handful of weeks. Um, Colorado State, you mentioned they're on a bye week last week. I don't think that's going to help them at all. Um, but moving forward, with this week, college game day and big noon kickoff, going to Boulder uh, for this matchup. They then go on the road at Oregon. They then host USC over the next two weeks after that, September 23rd and September 30th. We're going to see them on in the national presence at least for the next three weeks straight. And beyond that, if they pull off one or two of those games, again, I counted them out against TCU. I'm, they're a factor. Who knows? I mean, it, he went from Jackson State and having he's the Notre Dame of the HBCU network. ESPN carried all their games exclusively. And 
he shows up on campus in Boulder and he's got both pregame shows on campus in week three after having the national presence of Fox for the first two and he'll have them again with Oregon and USC, albeit on the road, but they're there for a reason. They're there because of Dion. Think about not just where we're going to be at the end of the year and where they are now, but with the national, st national stage, the brand and advertising, the style of play, the swagger, and the energy. The players that joined him this past offseason will be paired with players who are about to join him this coming offseason. Where will we be a year from now? I'm not even thinking two or three. I'm just, where's Colorado a year from now in the grand scheme of what college football is becoming because of how quickly they're getting the attention and the praise and the hype? The hype train goes through him. It's not, all the other coaches are reacting to it. It's hard not to buy into what they're doing because all of the media outlets are, are on campus regardless of what game they're carrying that day. And, and look, Deion Sanders may have chosen Colorado over some other jobs, but what are you thinking if you're Georgia Tech or Mississippi South State? Florida. Was it Au South Florida? Auburn, South Florida. I mean, there are other jobs yeah. in the South. You know, Deion Sanders from the South played at Florida State, was coaching at Jackson State. Um, Arizona State. Yeah, there were other places that had opportunities. Georgia Tech was the one I always thought You're was. You're right. Yeah, we, we, yeah. Man, that, that could be a superstar, celebrity type this hire would be, this in would Atlanta. This what they were. Where they could go recruit that area and start maybe taking some guys from the Georgia Bulldogs in the Atlanta area if Deion Sanders the coach. And I'm watching this game on Saturday, Hutton. Every time they go to a commercial break, first two commercials are Deion Sanders and his family. That they have an ad, I forget the company, but they had an ad that was Dion around the table with Shador, Shiloh, his entire family is in the ad. Uh, it's him and Nick Saban pitching Aflac. He's doing yeah. a California Almonds commercial. Every college football, you cannot escape Dion Sanders. College game day is going to be there. Big noon kickoff is going to be there. It's almost unfair. I mean, that guy is getting so much advertising even when you go to commercial break, he's got so many deals going. So and they're going to get top players. Oh, and then think about the 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 push of I, I bring up Travis Etienne in Jacksonville, who's talking about his brother at Florida after the Week One loss against Utah, saying uh, we got to get you to Boulder. You know, he's tweeting that out. There will be more of that, and then you have Shadour. Say, I also I'm curious where you come down on this. So Dion. There is a standard there, but there's also like, if you're doing it based on all of the talk of the week, example would be when Shador Sanders took off the helmet after the touchdown. And uh, Dion talked about this last week. He's like, hey, you know, I, I gets to the sideline and I'm ripping into him for doing that. Yeah, that, was, looks, that was this week. He said this after, week. Yeah. yeah. And he says, dad, it's, it's personal. personal. That and was he starts laughing all week. Like if you're... One of the other coaches, these old school lifers, and I'm talking about at the elite level. How do you react to that? If a if a if a player did that on your sideline, knowing that and, and it's got to be the quarterback, it's got to be someone big. Normally, you're not getting away with it, and you do with Dion if you're producing. And I think that resonates with the mentality of a lot of football players coming out of high school right now. Yeah, We're only going to see more of that. It's the you times. It's, the, it's part it. two. It's the you part two. The, the personalities, the attitudes. 
everything else. Now, the U didn't they, – they had a nice run. They didn't last forever. Um, I, I, look, I, I think what Nick Saban does is sustainable for a longer period of time than what Deion Sanders is doing. I, I could be proven wrong here. I, I acknowledge I don't disagree. that. I'm just asking, where are we 12 months but from now? But when you're when, – no, I, I, look, they're going to be humbled at some point this year, you, you would think. And maybe it's at Oregon or, or wherever. It's going to happen. But how do they handle that? Yeah. Uh, can you recreate this, like, blood feud every single week with every opponent? Or do you have to eventually have a standard of how you go about your business as a program that you replicate every week no matter the opponent – no matter what. Well, the the next it's personal three. thing is a great example. There is absolutely nothing personal between Deion Sanders and the Nebraska Cornhuskers or with Shador Sanders and the Nebraska Cornhuskers. Hell, there's nothing personal with 90% of Colorado fans. That has not been a rivalry for many years. And yet we're hyping this thing up. I heard Gus Johnson say it was equivalent to Ohio State and Michigan. What? <laughs> Uh, that it's equivalent to Auburn, Alabama in those parts. It was in the late 80s because Bill McCartney needed a big bad guy to build a power at Colorado, and he picked Tom Osborne in Nebraska, and it became a, a heated rivalry where Nebraska fans would go to Boulder and get batteries thrown at them, and it became a big deal. It's not as big of a deal now, so I do want to pump the brakes a bit on Colorado-Nebraska being this huge rivalry. It is a rivalry. It's not as big as it's being made out to be. But is that sustainable week after week? To go into every game with a different theme and this team said this to me or did this, even if they didn't or not. Can you be Alvin Mack in the program, making things up about the opponent across the line from you well, over and over again? I, I don't know that you can. And here's well, the other you thing. you can for the next three weeks pretty easily. Both of his sons got unsportsmanlike conduct penalties in this game. That is not a good look. And I don't think it's that funny – when you say, hey, you're the quarterback, you can't be taking your helmet off, getting a 15-yard penalty. And then he I says that, oh, I started laughing. He cracked his dad up. Again, is that sustainable as a program? I don't think not it is. Not long term. But I, who knows if he's there for the long term. But I, That's but, a great point. He may not want to be there more than three or four years. But they're more than just two players. Like I, I need to just laugh at myself there. They, with Weaver, the wide receiver, 10 receptions, 170 yards, had a touchdown. He averaged 17 yards per catch. I mean, it's more than just them, and they're going to add more. And, Chad, I, I understand what you're saying. What they're doing, it seems like a fight promotion, you know, like each week. They're, they're hyping the fight as the promoter. Um, it's not that hard to do this week with Colorado State. The week after is at Oregon, where Dan Lanning, whenever it was announced that Colorado was going to the Big 12 – had the line about, you know, well. What have they won in this yeah, conference? Yeah, what have they won? Yeah, what have they contributed to the conference was and sort of the, the, the week deal. after that, you have Caleb Williams, and who knows where Shador Sanders is on the Heisman talk by then. They're going to keep talking about it. Travis Hunter as well. So, I mean, you've got the head-to-head -head matchups there. It writes itself at least for the next three weeks. And after that, who knows what their record is. If they're still unbeaten. They've I mean, already got the national presence each well, week. Well, anyway. and that's look. I, I don't. Again, I don't think that type of uh, running a program that way is going to be sustainable in the long term. But could Colorado win a national title in the next three years? Absolutely. Yeah. I and mean, it, if you get just, the top transfers in college football and you can recruit, and you know you're going to have national pregame shows with you weekly, 
and you're going to have every commercial during every oh, big college football game featuring you but here's, in an Aflac commercial or an Almonds commercial and you or whatever know, it may you be, made the great, you could absolutely win quickly. You made the great point of they're hyping it like it's Michigan-Ohio State. Yeah. The players that are tuning in to watch Deion Sanders' team don't know that it's not. Oh, absolutely you know what I mean? not. No, you're right. And his players don't know that. No. That just came along. They don't know. <laughs> it's the, personal for Shador. Yeah, they don't know the culture of Boulder, Colorado. <laughs> They're not into that. They didn't grow uh, up with this rivalry or anything. But I, I liked it during the week when he sort of took on that. It's personal to this school and our fans. Right. So it's personal to us was how he framed it. But then that got twisted into a, this guy talks bad about my logo. dad. And they stood on my logo. And I'm, I'm thinking, we don't. You don't have to go there all the time. I just now maybe they can. Maybe every week they're going to come up with something else that, that there's a reason they were slighted by someone. They may play the video that I had earlier talking about Shador Sanders this week, and then come out and you know put my face on a poster board with a bullseye of why they're going to go out and beat the hell out of Colorado State because they feel so. Maybe I'm a Colorado State grad now is what they'll tell everyone, and that's why I'm saying it. I mean, you could make up whatever you want. I just don't know that you need that necessarily. But Chad, it's working for him so far. You sent me the link, is texasback.com. Is texasbackyet.com, I think is the, it is, the website. Yep. You got uh, it. Does it still say no? And do you do you agree or disagree with what the site will tell us right now? Look, they're back. Uh, they're back. They went to Alabama and won. And uh, is this the best Bama team we've ever seen? No, of course not. Last year wasn't either. Last year was a rebuilding year for Bama with two losses. This year they may have more than two losses by the end of the year. In fact, I'd predict them to have more. Texas is back. They got after Bama's both fronts, offense and defense. I thought pass, ru pass rush was great. Made it life very difficult on Jalen Milrow. I thought offensive line for Texas was one of their strengths. The vertical passing game looked really good with Quinn Ewers, um, Xavier Worthy, others for that for that uh, Texas team. Yeah. Now, what does this say about Bama? What it says is Bama no longer has the quarterback that can just bail them out of things single-handedly. And I think that covered for some things in recent years. No, I don't think that Nick Saban you know, has lost his touch or his edge or anything else. But there's something that's gone on with that Bama program where it's just not the same. That shine of Bama where they are feared by everyone and you just know they're not going to beat themselves and that you are going to beat yourself, especially when you play in Tuscaloosa, and they're going to find ways to get it done, I think that's gone. And a big reason it's gone this year, and this is not a knock on Jalen Milrow, he's not Bryce Young. He's not Tua Tungavailoa. Hell, he's not Mac Jones. He's not Jalen Hurts. They've had quarterback play that can get them out of trouble. If Bryce Young isn't playing a year ago, they lose to Texas and their backup quarterback that played the majority of that game. If he does not pull a rabbit out of a hat late in that game with a terrific play to get them in field goal position. If they don't have Bryce Young in Knoxville, Hutton and I mm. sat next to each other that game. They may lose by four touchdowns the way that thing was going. If you didn't have a complete difference maker, generational type quarterback in college that could make things happen, they get blown out in that game. Instead, they lose by a last second field goal. Texas is back. Bama is a lot like a lot of other programs in college football right now. Tide fans don't want to hear that, but that's where they are. They're a very talented team that's going to win a lot of games that does not have a big edge at quarterback. And I think a bit of their luster 
well, of this team is always going to come in here and destroy you. But if not, even if you have a really good team, they're going to be the one that doesn't make the mistake that, that, that loses it for themselves. And it's true to say, like, the, the, they're not deep at wide receiver like they have been. Quarterback, to me, is number one. But you can, this has been the plan, though. They're more too tight, you know, 50% or so. And they've got Tommy Reese there that's running this system based on what Milrow's doing, but also based on the fact they wanted to get back to the bully ball. And they could not do that against Texas. Can they do that across the SEC with the upper, uh, the elite and then keep up whenever you've got to score some points? We knew with the quarterbacks that Chad mentioned, and I think we know about Milrow as well. Coming up, what do we know about Mel Tucker's situation? The latest. Sixth and Peabody, our location with Yeehaw Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine. Hot Mike with Hutton and Withrow rolls on across the Outkick Network. It's where you can find all the great shows and head over to YouTube. Search out Outkick, hit that subscription button, and join Chad in the chat. Chat's been good today. Reacting Solid to chat. Dion and Bama. A lot of Bama Texas. talk, uh, some, some Michigan State talk, some Dion talk, a little bit of everything. Coco Golf talk. You never know, Hutton. Uh, Disney and Charter have reached their agreement. Hey. Hey, guess what's tonight, My parents' too? long national nightmare is now over. They're down in Florida at the beach with my mom's <laughs> sister, and I got to call and break the great news to my mom because she was saying if we get back home this week and we can't watch college football on the ESPN family of networks this weekend, we are going to be very angry, and it's going to force us to have to figure out how to get some sort of streaming service or someone else out to the house. And I got to call and say, Mom, it's over. The divide, the feud between Spectrum Charter and Disney is over. You will have everything this weekend when you get home. Nearly 15 million subscribers. Uh, Disney and Charter ending their 12-day uh, blackout and of took, ABC it, it, and it ESPN. Took, it took New York City to do it. Yeah, because of Monday Night Football tonight. Yeah, and because they've got millions of subscribers in that area through Spectrum. It's their biggest, and about 800,000. Disney, the, ESPN, located right down the road in Bristol, Connecticut, said, ah, the rest of America, you know, you can suffer and not watch college football. We better get this thing ready, though, for Jets, Bills, uh, Monday Night Football. So they, at least they got it ready in time for that. So uh, awful announcing. I haven't seen the details uh, yet, and they haven't either. Uh, they just say uh, the details matter. Charter, from their side, said they would only agree to Disney's proposed per-subscriber rate hikes if Disney threw in free subscriptions to their direct-to-consumer services. That would be Disney+, Plus, Hulu, ESPN+, Plus, uh, and, and more. Um, rookie performances over the weekend for the NFL. Anthony Richardson, um, I don't know how many people, if you drafted him on your fantasy team, actually started him. But if you did, uh, props to you. He was one of the, the better performers of week one amongst the fantasy quarterbacks. Um, solid job in a game that, and I say solid, I would say it's like a C plus B minus, uh, a game where Jacksonville came in and was supposed to win pretty easily. Colts kept it close for a, a good amount of time. And he averaged what, six yards per attempt. Um, he was the most impressive rookie. I don't know if that's something to write home about, but, uh, he also had an offense that couldn't hang on to the football. 
and that helped Jacksonville quite a bit. C.J. Stroud um, said last week, not easy to be a rookie quarterback, first-time head coach. They make their debut together on a young roster that's on the road in week one in Baltimore. And while it was 7-6 and the Ravens were kind of slow out of the gate, that was not a game that was going to go in their favor. And Bryce Young looked awful. But all number one overall picks do uh, at quarterback on their, their debut. Now 0-14-1 uh, in, in their debuts. He, he averages 3.8 yards per attempt, Jed, Bryce Young in Carolina. He telegraphed a couple of picks. Atlanta uh, got the run game going, in the, especially in the second half. And we'll see more out of him, but Atlanta was the better team and should have been. And they are one of the few that took care of business based on some expectations of year three and year two, year two for a quarterback versus a guy making his first start and his debut in the league. I thought, um, I thought Anthony Richardson didn't look that bad at times. Made, made a few plays of the rookie quarterbacks getting their start, their start in, game, in week one. I didn't think he was terrible. Well, you know, he had that touchdown run. He threw his first touchdown pass as well. Uh, the, the Colts wide receivers continued to drop passes. I mentioned the fumbles. Uh, 25 yards on 16 carries from the running backs. No Jonathan Taylor. Talks have picked up again, and uh, reports are picked up again about the Colts continuing to maybe consider the trade of Taylor, who's on PUP at least through the, the first month of the season. Um, look, accuracy is going to be an issue for him, but of the three, he looked the best. And... Uh, Indianapolis came out and played with a little passion fire. Uh, Buckner, DeForest Buckner's play where he had the strip sack recovery, touchdown, in a play that featured two different fumbles. Yeah. He did all the work and kept him in that game. I think it was Tank Bigsby, the rookie out of Auburn, oh, that yeah. picked it up and Didn't just, know. yeah, he, I thought the ball was play was dead and stood there with it and someone else came through and poked it loose and returned it. Titans fall in New Orleans, and Derek Carr gets his first victory as the Saints quarterback in an ugly game. Both teams were field goal offenses, but luckily for Derek Carr and the Saints, they could actually score one touchdown. They win 16-15. Ryan Tannehill was atrocious in this game. I mean, atrocious. And and we have to start really asking the question about his recovery uh, from the injury last year. I, I thought he looked bad physically. I thought he looked bad in his drop back. I thought he looked bad when he tried to move. Not the same Ryan Tannehill, who's been a very mobile, active quarterback and fast throughout his career. Yeah. I thought he looked very different in this game, very unsure of himself. And even when the Titans drew up something that led to wide-open receivers streaking down the field, he airmailed them by 10 yards one time, uh, uh, threw, threw the ball out of bounds on another one. I just thought a really bad performance. Um, from Ryan Tannehill, and I mean, he's got to be better, but not a lot of hope for the Titans because you traded up to draft Will Levis, who couldn't beat out Malik Willis in the preseason as the backup quarterback. So who do you turn to if Ryan Tannehill is just bad now? Yeah, they, they it's, stick it's with one him week. Until, I mean, he could get yeah, better. Uh, but That was his lowest uh, quarterback rating uh, since he's been in Tennessee. And, and there was no one to blame on on with his play but him, I, I thought, at, at times in that game. The, the offense itself, you could expect 
new offensive coordinator, breaking in Hopkins, there was going to be some things that were going to be a struggle. But a lot of what I saw was just Ryan Tannehill not playing well. well and that, that's the discouraging part. Well, the encouraging part is you lost by one point despite three interceptions and two missed touchdowns. Oh, yeah. The um, defense is as good as advertised. They're very good. That, that's one of the top defenses in the league. That and Derrick, no one's Henry, mention. Derrick Henry was good when he was given opportunities. Five carries in the second half, though. That's it. Only 28 snaps. And their rookie running back, Tajay Spears, had more. More snaps, 33. Well, and you compared just, to 28. This is an offense for the Titans that you simply cannot blow opportunities when you get a play schemed up based on something you saw in preparation for a touchdown. You cannot lose those opportunities. Because they're going to be challenged to score throughout the year. Defense is going to keep them in every game. Kept them in this game in week one on the road. Going to keep they them did. in games. But you've got to make those, turn those opportunities into touchdowns. Uh, the other team that uh, I was impressed by, uh, just top to bottom, Cleveland. The Browns taking care of all things Joe Burrow and the Cincinnati Bengals. T. Higgins was targeted like eight times, no catches. Um, and Watson was fine. Came out and ready to go. Meanwhile, Burrow and company did not. 82 total yards passing for Joe Burrow after the mega contract. He looked like he's never played in like remotely poor weather before. Oh, he looked like a guy who didn't participate in training camp because he didn't. Yeah, but even like the the grip on the ball at times was looked off. Just everything was was not good for uh, for Joe Burrow in Cincinnati yesterday. I like great news I, for the Browns. Well, though. the Browns they have the they are a lot like Anthony Richardson's career, high ceiling, low floor, and it comes down to Watson and whether or not he's going to produce based on expectation and the expectations based on the contract and where he left off in his best year in Houston, which was right after the 2019 2020 season. Then you demanded a trade, and we know the history there. But if you look at their defense, led by Miles Garrett and how they've built and constructed that group, Jim Schwartz, new defensive coordinator, and then you look offensively with Cooper and the run game and the investment made uh, on the offensive line, this can be a true contender. Watson's that good, but he hasn't played that well last year. He's got a, that. This Watson is the version that... I think we expected to see whenever the suspension was up a year ago. And By the I, way, Jack I, Conklin, done for the year, yeah, is right that, tackle. that's tough news. But this roster is really good for Cleveland. And I like the spot they were in coming into this season. Because after the Deshaun Watson circus of the last two years and everything that's gone on, and then him you know, playing the last, what, six weeks of the season this past year and looking bad, it, it created this sense of low expectation. For the Cleveland Browns coming into the season, I think they're much better off living in that area, getting ready for a season, than what we've seen in years past where there's any hype surrounding them and their roster. And then you look up and say, hey, this could be a pretty good team if Deshaun Watson's anywhere close to what he was with the Texans. Well, you're pairing him with a, a defense that at times in recent seasons was a, just a total disaster. And now Schwartz is there, and... Uh, Delpit led the team in tackles. It felt like he had 15. I don't think it was that high. It was probably like 10. Um, and then you had the defensive backs that were all over any Bengals receiver. Um, we only saw that in a handful of defenses yesterday. And Burrow loses another game in Cleveland. He can't win there. It's at all-time low. 
and 14 of 31 on pass attempts. An offense that totaled totaled 142 yards. And I mentioned across the across the league, 14 different offenses failed to get above 200 yards net passing in week one. Is this due to just non-preseason play? I don't, I don't buy into that as much because we're seeing five, six quarters at most of starting offenses. And I'm looking at Pittsburgh as that example, and they just got boat raced. Um, I, I think it's just a... When the new CBA rolled around, Chad, it limited off-season development opportunities. Yeah. And I think it's more about that than it is who's starting, who's playing, how many snaps are you playing in a preseason matchup compared to practice and joint practices. I think we've seen a steady evolution of the devaluing of practice in the NFL <laughs> over the years. We, I mean, we really yeah. have. Preseason, no one plays in it. No one's ever really cared. But, I mean, think about the old days. I'm not saying go back to this, but the old days where – Guys would show up out of shape and get in shape in training sport. camp because they had two a days. But you don't have to go that far. You Just don't go need back, to go that far. Go back 15 years. Yeah. You know, and you, two a days are one. Th- I'm not saying go back to that, but you, you're limited on full padded practices. Guys get a uh, a day off now every five days in camp. You have to, and there's only so you come back and you can only go in full pads after five days of acclimation. I mean, it's just. It's not all about full contact because you keep guys healthy. Even if coaches had that opportunity, I don't think they would use it. But at the same time, there is not that same energy and pizzazz that I think the NFL boasts about, uh, especially early in the season. It's uh, We're going to see high scores, but we see a lot of lackadaisical and awful football mixed in with that. Yeah, and it, it you would reason to believe, okay, it's a sport on offense where you need timing, you need rhythm, you need a cohesiveness with the offensive unit. So it may take a little bit of time. I don't think it should be this dramatic of a change from week one to the rest of the year that we see in certain instances with certain offenses. Because Joe Burrow and the Cincinnati offense, they're going to be fine. It's just yes. how, how quickly are they fine? Because week one was an abomination. First time ever that the Browns, Lions, Raiders, and Jaguars have all started 1-0. First time ever. Tell you what, Calvin Ridley looked pretty good in a Jacksonville uniform in game one. Not a bad pickup for the Jags this offseason. He's going to be the Tell you else one. looked great in that game, Trevor Lawrence. He made some throws. That one touchdown where he's rolling left and he fires a bullet to the back of the end zone for the touchdown was impressive looking. The most impressive, I felt like, was Purdy. Um, but how can you not look at Tua and be like, man, if they can keep him healthy, Miami is a team to worry about. He's just they, so good with the pinpoint accuracy, and the ball just gets to the right spot so well, many he, times. It doesn't always look great, he but he up, knows how to deliver the ball to the right spot at the right time. He stepped up in the pocket, and he almost did like this half skip, and then he bombs this this pass down the right sideline to Tyreek Hill, who lays out for the catch. That, to me, is the best throw he made all day. That was exceptional. And Tua, he was in the MVP conversation after week seven a year ago. 
And then he got hit, knocked around and concussed. And we know the story. Now he's back. And he didn't, he did not look like he was worried at all about stepping up in the pocket. No, he looked good. Others coming off injury or coming off games where they missed at the end of the year, taking some time. Chad mentioned Tannehill. Others that got paid taking some time as well. Burrow and Daniel Jones. Daniel Jones, who I don't know how you can get a lower QBR than what we saw from him. Tannehill might find out. We'll uh, overreact to some of the headlines coming up next across uh, the NFL. Coming up, Jim Comperoni will join us from SpartanMag.com. That's in 20 minutes. And Adam Mustentiger, he will be on with us uh, from BuffStampede.com in hour number three as well. Glad you're with us. Hot Mike with Hutton Withrow rolls on. Uh, speaking of the uh, Spartan Mag and all things uh, that is the crazy story that essentially $80 million for phone sex is what we're discussing with Mel Tucker and the allegations in the Title IX investigation that concluded in July that have led to his suspension uh, until Michigan State feels like they're going to make a decision one way or the other. Yeah, Brenda Tracy is a a woman who's a a speaker, who is a rape survivor and an advocate against sexual assault that was hired to speak to the Michigan State program. Uh, And this apparently became a relationship between her and Mel Tucker. Um, She's claiming sexual harassment. There's an investigation going on with the university. Mel Tucker said while he made some awful mistakes that he has a hard time forgiving himself for, saying everything was consensual and he's being mischaracterized. Well, now Mel Tucker's attorney, Jennifer Z. Belleville, is his attorney, has released a a two-and-a-half-page statement And I'm reading just some excerpts here from Stuart Mandel with Sports Illustrated, uh, who says, quote, Tucker calls the now infamous call that you referenced, Hutton, a mutual private event between two adults living at opposite ends of the country. He is calling the October 5th, 6th hearing a, quote, sham and suggests there is an ulterior motive designed to terminate my contract. It's what we talked about in the first segment it would be awfully convenient if you get this news in your Michigan State and you feel like that $95 million contract is an albatross for a guy who's not succeeding to the level you expected after that one great season, this would be an easy way to get rid of that. Now, the other end of this is you receive this complaint and you say, wait a minute, you sexually harassed the woman hired to speak to the team about sexual assault and sexual harassment? How dumb are you? And that is grounds to be fired. For that alone. So we're going to see how all this plays out, but I don't disagree that this would be a convenient way for Michigan State to get out from under a really bad contract is what it looks like right now with Mel Tucker. Yeah, I mean, they and they wrote the contract that way. Uh, conduct which, in the university's reasonable judgment, yep. would tend to bring public disrespect, contempt, or ridicule on the university. And, it, I mean, even if what... And that's every, saying, every contract has some sort of clause like that. So that's not nothing new, but that is something that they could use to get out of it. But I mean, just think about the uh, putting into question his character and just common sense as the face of the athletic program and of a university that Mel Tucker represents. Um, 
yeah, I mean, it, damage to his reputation, all that, that's, that can be debated on whether or not they're just trying to get rid of him based on the money that's remaining on his contract versus the bad hire that they made, in their opinion, in Minnie's opinion. But beyond that, just the common sense aspect of what this represents. And initially, according to, I was reading the Lansing, Lansing State Journal, uh, originally told the Title IX investigators, uh, an investigation, it denied anything taking place on a work trip, but then receipts proved otherwise. So then he wrote a, a letter to the investigation, to the investigator, uh, admitting that he had done this, but regretted it and said it was, it, and called it a mistake, as Chad, you mentioned. It's all just who's believable and who's not. And Tracy is in this case, based on her history, uh, her advocacy, and where we are right now, and the, man, just the inconsistency with what Tucker has said and what's been out there. There are a lot of, a lot of issues with how it's been handled, but beyond that, how he handled it initially, that put into question just the common sense aspect of it. Yeah, and I, I just, maybe I'm too much of a cynic in this one, but I think if Mel Tucker the last two seasons were like the one that got him the big contract, Michigan State would be quicker to defend him or at least hear him out against these claims and not immediately suspend, which is leading to, as Mel Tucker called it, a sham of a hearing on October 5th and 6th. It's going to lead to his dismissal as coach. So we'll have to see how it all plays out, but I do think that that is part of it. Here's another that's part of it. Larry Nasser. Yeah. Michigan State has a horrible rep right now because of everything that went on with that. Yeah. So I'm sure his bosses see this, and that it's just it's the the head in the palm moment of why, what are you thinking? Right. With everything that's gone on with that university, none of it's good. Uh, coming up, we will uh, talk with Jim Comperoni, uh, SpartanMag.com. Yeah, he's it's been, been moved uh, to here in about 14 minutes from now. Um, so he's going to join us. We'll get the latest, and we'll get in-depth on everything going on at Michigan State. Uh, but first, Davey Hudson joins us here in studio with some, some NFL overreaction. Guys, week one to week two, you get the biggest jump, and it's also the time where teams and fans of those teams are going overboard as they look at, oh, man, we're either winning the Super Bowl or the season's over. Let's go ahead and start the tank. So I've got a couple of questions for you all as it relates to some NFL overreactions. You give me your thoughts, and we'll go from there. And, hey, to start it off, after just one week, who is Super Bowl bound? Uh, the Dallas Cowboys, who go on the road against the New York Giants and put on a show uh, defensively and then offensively make it look easy against a Giants team that feels like they're running it back. They've got the coach, the right coach now. They've just paid their franchise quarterback a big contract. Saquon Barkley is chirping. He's, he's barking in the offseason, but didn't have much of a bite. They make him happy, though. They adjust the franchise. To, everything's looking towards New York on Sunday night football. And Dallas goes in and not just wins the divisional matchup in week one, destroys them to where there's no controversy whatsoever uh, in, in, in Big D right now. There's, I mean, McCarthy, Dak, and Ezekiel Elliott's no longer there. Give me Dallas. That's the overreaction of who's Super Bowl bound based on what I saw. There are three, maybe four appropriate answers to this question based on week one results. Hutton just nailed one of them. 
The other three, I'm going to put a fourth one there, maybe. The Detroit Lions would be a possibility going to Arrowhead and winning and beating Patrick Mahomes, the defending Super Bowl champions. There you go. The Miami Dolphins beating all the media's darling boy and Justin Herbert on the road in the Chargers, who I believe has been overrated since, uh, not Herbert, but the Chargers every year since he's been there. Um, that would be another one. But I'm going with the other obvious one, the San Francisco 49ers. They've got the best roster top to bottom in the NFL. And I thought the one exception was at quarterback. And Brock Purdy went out there and looked like Roger Staubach in, in, one, in, in week one. He was terrific. And he's subtly talking trash about the Pittsburgh Steelers post game. They just wallop the Steelers on the road. Defense looked great. Receivers looked great. Give me the San Francisco 49ers. I, I think it's both those teams are clearly the top two based on performance with Cowboys and 49ers after week one. I'll take the Niners. Two quick stats. Dak Prescott won his last 11 starts against the Giants. And you have Tyreek Hill, who in his last three games against the Chargers now, 27 catches, 444 yards, and four touchdowns. Not bad. You may want to defend some of the top players on the field, specifically him, uh, when the game's on the line and two is rearing back to throw. Yeah, and Tyreek's mentioning him. He said he wanted to get 2,000 yards before the season. He's currently on pace for over 3,500. So, take it for what it's worth. Not I'll bad. just leave it there. Uh, just keep right. his quarterback healthy. Uh, all right, guys. Uh, next question. Which coach is in over their head? Chad, uh, Matt Eberflus at this point in, in Chicago because defensive-minded coach with uh, all of the money, finally, after waiting two years, you've got the free agent ability to go out and spin and, and improve your roster. You trade out of the number one overall pick and you go in with Justin Fields. And I, I really like the skill set of Fields. I saw what happened whenever he was the quarterback at Ohio State. He just has to have time to throw the... If you want him to throw the football, allow him time to throw the football. Uh, the screen game is not going to win games in Chicago. And while he can run and for 1,700 yards or it, it run all over the field and be a, a running back, he, he's a quarterback. And they have not done enough for their quarterback. It looked like Justin Fields running back, and they've, they're one of the teams that value that position more than the QB. And they just lost to Jordan Love of the Green Bay Packers, having no business after Aaron Rodgers leaves to go in and win. And Ryan Poles said prior to the game, in a, a talk to the team, he goes, I, the general manager, not to talk to the team, just to the press. I hope this team arrives at Soldier Field believing that they're going to win instead of trying to... Hoping. hope, Yeah, hoping that they're wish. going to win. We wish. Wishing that we're going to win. There wasn't much belief yesterday based on the way Green Bay showed up and just went to work. Meanwhile... Chicago is struggling again in a year where they shouldn't be, and time is running out on Matt Eberflus. Another example of uh, preseason hype doesn't exactly translate to the regular season. No doubt. It's a fan base that deserves better also yes. in Chicago. Yes. That's been uh, bad for too long. Um, I, I, I don't know. this. I wouldn't term this coach as in over his head because he's done it for so long and at different places. But a dual meaning of this question is a head coach that won't survive – uh, with their current team this year. I'm going to go way outside the box and say Ron Rivera. 
Not impressed with a close win over the Arizona Cardinals at home uh, where that thing was very much in doubt late in that game against Josh Dobbs at quarterback and a team trying to tank. Um, I think there's been some some off-season things, preseason things. The comment about Eric Bieniemy this preseason, which was weird, where the players had come to him and were upset about how tough he was on them. A year ago, uh, it was with Jack Del Rio. Uh, There's a new sheriff in town. Josh Harris is the owner now, and this guy wants to set a different standard. He wants to win. He wants to do big things with that once-proud organization, and losing is not going to cut it. And if you lose, he's going to go find someone that's going to win. I don't think Ron Rivera is the Washington Commanders coach next year. So give me Rivera after one week. All right, guys. Uh, next question. Dallas has the best defense in the league. That's a, with a question like right of the now? Or? Like, are, are we overreacting? Uh, probably a bit, but not by much. I mean, it's San Francisco and Dallas right now with the two elite defenses. We'll see what happens with New York as well tonight. The Jets, who ended last year, uh, top five in scoring defense, and they get the they take they get their fair share of takeaways too. Yeah, it's it's but the same with, answer as the the two teams we gave for Super Bowl bound. I think it's, it's 49ers or Cowboys right now. Pick one of those two. Yeah, uh, the other the other top defenses. One of them is in, uh, here in Nashville with the Titans, but they're they're very they're very much bend but don't break. Um, they're not as disruptive as Cowboys Niners. Those other the, Niners and Cowboys have an offense that also helps them, but and they they can be aggressive and they can break you. Other defenses just bend but don't break. Those two can break you. Cleveland, we should also look at Cleveland with a new play caller now, but I think it's. It's San Francisco and Dallas, and right now it is Dallas. I must break you. <laughs> All right, guys. Uh, the standout from yesterday that really had his coming out party was Puka Nakua. Will he win Offensive Rookie of the Crushed Year? Crushed it. Crushed it with that pronunciation. No. I'm not going to go too far with the fifth-round pick in, in week one. Did a nice job filling in for Cooper Cup. Uh, made a, one terrific catch in that game, but I'm going to say an emphatic no on him winning Rookie of the Year. I think it ends up being a quarterback when it's all said and done. I do think Bryce Young will improve, and Carolina's better than what they sh- they've showed out with uh, in Atlanta. Chad mentioned earlier this offseason that the Colts are going to end the year far better than the way they start the year. I, I tend to buy into that as well. I also think Houston is going to be uh, a bit above expectation. Um, I don't know if the Colts' record is going to change all that much. I think they'll finish last in the South. I would take one of the quarterbacks, but Nakua could end up winning this if you were just on a better team. And what we saw from the Rams is not indicative of what I expect from the Rams over the course of the next 17. We're about to get very in-depth on this Michigan State situation. Yeah, Jim Caparoni joins us next with the very latest statement from attorney and where we're headed with the suspension. 